going to take the month of December and, and we're going to be looking at uh, the Christmas story. And we're going to be um, looking at the Word of God and we're going to be celebrating everything that de- God has done in the uh, coming of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some familiar scriptures, but we're also going to be looking at some unfamiliar scriptures. Um, we're actually going to actually also debunk some traditions that have been made up. And uh, we're going to also reinforce some eternal truths through the, through the, through the coming weeks. So um, let's jump into it. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will towards men. One of the things that you've got to understand there is it doesn't say um, peace among between men. It says toward men. Right? We still live in a world that is it, that there is... Um, brokenness and that there is disharmony between men but as far as God our relationship with God it is goodwill and peace towards us that was the proclamation that the angels made to the shepherds right Christmas is a declaration of God's peace and goodwill towards humanity think about that that is what Christmas is it's God declaring his goodwill to all humanity his peace Right? We're not at war with God's not at war with humanity. So you can put your sword down. You know, we don't have to fight against God. God's on your side. That's the declaration of Jesus Christ coming into the world. You know that word goodwill? Um, if you look that up in the in the dictionary, it, it, it says it's compassion, kind heartedness, big heartedness, goodness. Kindness, charity, friendliness, thoughtfulness. It's God declaring that He is thinking about you. It's God saying that I, have, I am big hearted towards you. That I have goodness and kindness and compassion towards you. That is such good news. God Almighty, right? And you can tell we're in the Christmas season because I even put a tie on for you guys. I somewhat look like a pastor today. So, so but... <laughs> The, the antonym for, for good news is hostility. You know how many people still live their life feeling that they're in hostility between them and God? No, there's good news. It's goodwill towards us. It's goodwill towards you. It's goodwill to your neighbors and, and your friends and your family. It's goodwill. And that's good news. Amen? And in John, you know, in John, this, this scripture... Is, is, is so rich and, and, uh, um, because it's showing, it's showing us the, the, uh, the, the divine side of, of what was happening when Jesus came into the earth. You know, uh, Matthew and Luke look at the physical side. John's seeing things from a cosmic, from, from the, the unseen realm. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. So what does John do? He, he takes Jesus... And he places him right with God. That he is God. In the very very beginning, he always was. He is the eternal one. Right? And then he says, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is our eternal Savior. He is God Almighty. And it says, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. So the so. The earth and everything we see, and you in particular, were made through 
Jesus Christ. And without Him, nothing was, that was made was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. If you want life, you have to come to Jesus. Jesus is what truly brings life into, into your being. Jesus is the one that brings light. If you feel dark, if you feel depressed, if, if everything seems to be um, anti-blessed, anti-light, um, it just seems like things are closing in around you, come to Jesus because Jesus is the one that brings light. And it says, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So many people do not comprehend why Jesus Christ came. Why the light shined, and, and they could not comprehend what God was actually trying to do in the earth and what He not only tried to do, but He did do and accomplish through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. So this eternal one, this eternal one, all of a sudden stepped out of eternity into time and space. He put on flesh and He dwelt among us. That is, I've got a lot to cover and i got to speed up, but think about that. Of all, people say that, that, that all religions are the same. It's garbage. Do not allow them to get away with saying that. Christianity is so far away. All other religions are about this, this deity that lives, that is, lives separate and far away from humanity. And you have to do these certain things to climb that ladder to, to maybe get into his good graces. Christianity is about a creator, a father, God Almighty, that came to his creation because he knew that we could never climb a ladder to get to him. He, he came to us, he dwelt among us. That is so the humility of our God, the humbleness of our God, the love for our God. For us, from our God. He says, and, he, and we beheld His glory. How did we beheld the glory of God? In Jesus Christ. The glory as the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And one of the great things, see, see nothing is written in the Bible by happenstance. You know, throughout the, throughout the Gospels, it's constantly saying the, the, the only begotten, the only begotten, the only begotten. There's a great shift that happens in the epistles. It, it no longer calls him the only begotten. It calls him the what? First begotten. That seems subtle. That seems like, what's the big deal? No, there's a huge deal. Because when he was walking the earth, he was the only son of God. But after he went to the cross and people could be born again and a new spirit put within them, then he's no longer the only son of God. He was the first begotten of God. And, and the disciples were begotten. And on the, the day of Pentecost, um, thousands were begotten. And somewhere down the line, you were begotten and you became a son and daughter of God. That is, that is such good news and that's so, such good truth. The only begotten of God, of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's amazing that God, Jesus is the one that reflects the Father. Jesus is the image of the Father. And it says that in Him, is, He's full of grace and He's full of truth. You know, it, it's, it doesn't say He's full of wrath. It doesn't say that He's filled, full of condemnation. He, he, he's, not, he's not full of vengeance. 
And it's amazing how many people focus on those types of words when they're talking about our Heavenly Father. And the truth of the matter is, is He came to, to show us that He's full of grace and truth. And that's good news. In verse 16 it says, And of His fullness, what's He full of? Grace and truth. Grace is God's favor, His ability, right? And of His fullness, we have all received. We have received the fullness of who Christ is. And grace for grace. Not punishment for punishment. Not law for law. Not grace for grace. It's like the waves coming in. You receive God's grace over and over and over again in Christ Jesus. Why? Because for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you notice something here? When the, the law was given, God was at a distance in the law. He came and, and, and was given to humanity or to the, to the Jews, to Israel, through Moses. But grace and truth, when that, when that was given, it came. God came because that's who He is. God came and dwelt among us. He was close. He was Emmanuel with us. No one has seen, the, seen God at any time. Uh-oh. So how can we really know what God's like? If no one's ever... That means Moses, Moses never seen God. You might have seen, he might have seen aspects of God, but to understand who God is, Moses never, never understood Him. Elijah never, never seen God. The prophets never seen God. Think about that. It's saying that no one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying that no one understood God. No one, no one could, could properly show you who God was or tell you who God was. Only Jesus Christ, the only begotten from God, can declare Him to us. So your, who you, how you see God has to be filtered through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Does that mean that we throw out the Old Testament? No! We filter that through Jesus Christ. Amen? And if there's a truth, if there's a truth that we see in the Old Testament that doesn't line up with who Jesus Christ showed God to be, who, who we are in Christ, in the new creation, you have, to, you have to throw that out. That truth that you think about God if it doesn't line up with Jesus Christ. And, and, you, and a lot of people say, yeah, I understand. You, you'd be shocked at the amount of people that cling on to Old Testament doctrines that are anti-Christ. I mean, the book of Job is a huge one. They, they, they raised Job right up with Jesus Christ. What about Job? I, don't, I, don't, but what about Job? And I, and I always say, what about Jesus? Amen? So this is... This is John seeing the Eternal One. Think about that. The Eternal One. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What Word was that? The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Right? And everything that you read in Scripture is Jesus Christ. He put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. 
You know, most of the time when we look at Jesus, we, we look to Matthew, you know, the coming of Jesus during the Christmas season. We, we look to Matthew and Luke, right, when we read Scripture. Um, but the story of Mary and Joseph, you know, the, um, the angels, the, the, the manger, the shepherds, you know, all of the things that we love about the Christmas story. And, there's, and there, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And, and, but the problem with it is it only gives us a picture of what happened in the natural. You know, when we read the Christmas story in, in uh, Matthew and Luke, it's only showing us what's happening in the natural. What's going on in the natural. Um, do, you, do you know that there were things that were happening in the unseen realms also at, when this was happening? There were things happening in, 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 in the realms of the heavens. And, and sometimes that gets overlooked um, with all our Christmas tradition. So today, can we look at a little bit of the eternal today? Can we, can we look at some of the things that happen in the unseen realms? Can, can we maybe not look at our normal Christmas tradition passages and, uh, and look at, see what, what was happening between God and, and Jesus when this was all taking place. You know, in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, it says, Then He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. All of those prophecies, all of those things, uh, all of those things that were said about the Messiah, thousands, the, the, the closest Scripture to the birth of Jesus was 500 years. 500 years before Jesus came into the earth, Scripture was written saying exactly who he would be, what he would do, how he would die, even that he'd be raised again and seated at the Father's right hand. Think about that. And Jesus said, he said that he had to fulfill everything that was written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's amazing. That's amazing. Jesus came to fulfill Scriptures. Why? Because He's the Word that became flesh. And those Scriptures give us divine insight to who Jesus is and what He was anointed to do. Do you know that word Christ? Jesus Christ means anointed one. He is anointed as King. He was anointed to do do something for humanity. Scripture even gives us insight into the conversation that Jesus had with the Father before He came into the earth. Did you know that? Do you know that there's, Scripture actually shows us the conversation that Jesus had before, with, with God the Father before He came into the earth? That's interesting, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to know what they were talking about just before the Word became flesh and dwelled among us? It's funny that this is one of the last conversations that the Son had with the Father just before putting on humanity, yet it's never read at Christmas time. Well, we're going to read it today. And I think it might become one of your favorite Christmas verses. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. See, God had a problem. 
God had a problem. He wanted to take away the sins of the world. But he couldn't do it in the system of sacrifice, of bulls and goats, of religious tradition, of duty, of continually sacrificing and working and atoning for our wrongdoings. God wanted to deliver humanity from the weight and burden of sin but there was no way to do that in the earth. So what was God to do? Verse 5. Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. See, God had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice. He did not desire them. Why? Because it could not save us. Do you understand, do you understand why God did not desire those sacrifices? It wasn't because they weren't good enough for Him. It's because it wasn't working to save us, to deliver us, to cleanse us from guilt and condemnation. So that we would draw near to Him as children of God. It, it couldn't put a new spirit in us. It couldn't save us. Right? That's why God had no pleasure in them. It, was, it wasn't because, you know, He desires human sacrifice. That's a greater sacrifice than animal sacrifices. No, He never desired you to die for Him. Because you couldn't even save yourself. A slave could not make another slave free. Only a free man can set slaves free. And we were a slave to sin. We were a slave to Satan. We were a slave to this fallen world. And Jesus Christ, God Himself, became the sacrifice. That's, I, don't, I don't think we, we really comprehend Again, it goes back to we are not like any other, other of any of the other religions in the world. We have a God that died for us. Other religions say that their God demands that you die for them. Him. We have a God that died for us. That is so beautiful. So, anyways, God didn't have pleasure because. The, the sacrifice, the burnt offerings, they couldn't deliver us from the prison of sin, the chains of bondage. Therefore, when He came into the world, when did Jesus come into the world? At Christmas time. I know that when we celebrate Christmas, this isn't the time that Jesus came into the world. This isn't the exact date, December 25th, isn't actually when Jesus came to the world, but this is when we have chosen to celebrate and to remember that Jesus Christ came into the world. And so when did Jesus come into the world? At Christmas, right? But I want you to notice the next two words. He said. Jesus is having a conversation with the Father. It says, therefore, when He came into the world, He said. Jesus said something. When did He say this? He said it just before He came into the world. 
He said, but, he goes, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. A body you have prepared for me. Jesus is talking to the Father and saying, you have prepared for me a physical body to come in the world because those sacrifices, you had no pleasure in them because it could not deliver the people. Verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The second member of the, of the Godhead spoke to the first member of the Godhead and said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. And he, then he said, Behold, I have come. When did Jesus come? On Christmas. This was a conversation that God the Father and God the Son had just before Jesus came into the earth. And it was all about you. They're having a conversation about you. They're having a conversation about humanity. How can we deliver them? How can we save them? How can we rescue them? That's amazing. I mean, this verse outshines everything as far as I'm concerned about the coming of Jesus Christ. So much is brought out in Luke and so much is brought out in Matthew of the physical birth and the physical coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not the spiritual reasons. And here in Hebrews chapter 10, the author nails it in just four verses. You can understand completely why Jesus came in four verses. In the volume, he goes on to say, in the volume of, book, of the book it is written of me. What's he saying? He says, every sacrifice spoke of me. Every commandment spoke of me. Every law spoke of me. Everything in the Old Testament, and I have come in the volume of the book. I am the word that became flesh. I have come to fulfill every verse, every jot, every tittle of what the law said about me. And I have come to do the will of God. So I have offered now my body to be burned. My body as a sacrifice for all mankind. And once I do, there will never be a need for another sacrifice ever again. I love it when God and Jesus talks about us. As a deity... As, a, as God, Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ came as God and as man. The purpose of why God came as, as a human being is so that God, so that as God, He could show the world that He was God and what God was truly like. Jesus came to show that He was God, but at the same time, He not only did He say, I, this is what, that I am God, worship Me, but the true purpose was so that we could truly know what God was like. God wants you to know Him. God wants, God is not an estranged parent, an estranged father, Straight, is, am I saying the right word? What did I say? 
he, he, he's not a, a, a God that want, desires to be separate from His children. God wants you to know what He is like. And as a deity, He couldn't die. But as a human, He could. And He came into the earth as a human being also so that He could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You know, whatever you're going through in life, you can never say, well, God, you don't know what it's like. Think about that. If you have a God that never faced temptation, if you, if you, if you have a God that has never had a, a loved one pass away, if you, if, you, if you never experienced want and need and thirst and hunger, and the opportunity to fear and have anxiety over the future. How would how what kind of God could even even sympathize, even rationally have mercy or or or, or compassion on something that they could have no idea of what it is like? We have a God that became one of us and experienced all of the pain and suffering that this world has to offer. Why? Because you can come to Him because He knows what you're going through. God knows what you are going through. And He is the solution to everything that we are going through. In this world, you will have tribulation. Some people say that that was that Jesus was that's a promise. No, it's not a promise. Jesus isn't promising you tribulation. He's just acknowledging this fallen world. And if you're in this world, there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. He says, "But I, but but uh, I have overcome the world." Jesus has overcome the world, and in Christ Jesus, we can overcome. Amen? Amen. So he ad- identifies us. And also as a human being, he could die for us. Right? Jesus didn't die in his deity. He died in his humanity. As humanity. Literally as humanity. Jesus is the representation of all humanity. And so as a deity, he couldn't die as, 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 humil- as humanity though. Perfect humanity, he could offer up a, sacri- a perfect sacrifice which was not born in sin, which never committed sin, and went, went to the cross without any sin. Sinless humanity died for cursed humanity. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. That's the Jesus Christ we serve. Amen? He says, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me, of me to do your will. So in the volume of the book, it was, writ- Jesus, it was written about Jesus. To do God's will, O oh God. Jesus came into the world to accomplish the Father's perfect plan for redemption. Which could not have been done through the Old Testament sacrifices and laws. Jesus coming had to be prophesied many times in the Old Testament. His birth was prophesied many times. 
His life and his miracles were amplified many times and told of uh, uh, many times prophetically in the Old Testament. Do you know that his death on the cross, this is some stuff you guys can do some homework on. His death on the cross is the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is prophetically showing what was happening in the, in, in the supernatural, in the, hidden, in the realm of God, in the realm of the Spirit, to Jesus Christ on the cross. Isaiah 53. The entire chapter of Psalms 22, it's a full chapter dealing with Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. And what's interesting about that is, is Jesus had no power to fulfill that. He was on the cross. He couldn't make them gamble for his garments. He couldn't make it so his none of his bones were broken. He couldn't make it that, that Jews and Gentiles gathered around him. It's a miracle. And it's only through the Word of God becoming flesh that it happened. And, he, and it says, it, it says, in fact, when, when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, and the Father said, sit at my right hand t- till I make your enemies your footstool, this was a quote from the Psalms. So literally, His ascension into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father was all prophesied through the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. So when we see Jesus came, like He said, He came in the volume of the book. And what that means, the, the word volume, it's, just, it's Jesus saying, I came to fulfill everything said about me to the finest and the smallest of details. Jesus fulfilled it all. You know, even on the cross, after he died, he was, and he was already dead, the Roman guards came up to him, and what they would do is they would break the legs of those that are being crucified to speed up their death, Right? They couldn't raise themselves up to take a breath, a breath of air. And when they came to Jesus, they put a spear into his side and blood and water flo- flowed and he was already dead. And they didn't break his legs. And that literally fulfilled a, a, a prophecy saying that not one of his bones would be broken. To say that there is no God makes you a fool. That fulfill, that, 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 there are there in the Old Testament, they say that there is 332 distinct predictions which were literally fulfilled in Christ. 332. And you might be thinking, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a number. Doesn't seem crazy. 332. Well, let's let's just do it in math, a mathematical probability. Alright? Do you know what the mathematical probability of any man that, to live at the exact present time to fulfill only eight prophecies? To only fulfill eight prophecies of the 332, the mathematical probability. It's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's, that's a one with 17 zeros after it. Now I, I know that you're probably thinking that don't mean anything to me. It sounds like a lot, Chad. Well, let's just put it this way. Jesus would have better odds 
if he showed up right now or a couple weeks ago, you know when that billion dollar mega million lottery thing was happening? If Jesus showed up right now he would, and, and when that was happening and he bought a lottery ticket, I know, he wouldn't buy a lottery ticket. Blah, blah, blah. But anyways, he bought a lottery ticket, he would have better odds winning that billion dollars than he would of fulfilling those eight prophecies. And he fulfilled it all in the, in the volume of the book he came. To fulfill 48 prophecies, it'd be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I mean, we're getting, this is getting to the point of impossible. But all things are possible with God. Amen? So let's look at some of these Old Testament prophecies. Jesus said, I come in the volume book. We're going to look at the volume of the book. We're going, to, we're going to look at some of the prophecies of Jesus' birth, His coming in the earth. Every prophecy is a prophecy of His coming, but each one will give us a different slant on why Jesus came into the earth. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we can't skip this one. This is the very first one. It says, it says And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This tells us that Jesus came to conquer Satan and everything that Satan had done to humanity. This prophecy came at the very same time God was speaking to Adam and, to, a curse over Adam and Eve and Satan himself. The curse was placed on Adam. He, God said to him, you'll, you'll have to work and you'll have to make it by the sweat of your brow. Right? Why, why was this curse happening? It was a result of this curse was a result. It was, wasn't God's will. It was a result of humanity disobedient, be, being disobedient to what God had said and not trusting God. Wanting to be their own gods. And I tell you what, the more and more you want to be the own, your own God in your own life, the harder and harder it will be. You need to, we need to hear that. To the woman, he said, you're, you're still going to have children, but you're going to have, have them with pain. There's going to be great pressure in childbirth. And then he said to Satan, he said, you're going to crawl on your belly and you'll be in the dust forever and ever. God said, I'll put a division, an enmity between the, you, Satan, and the woman. Between Satan and the woman. And right now, Satan, he's, he's saying to to, to Eve, right now Satan has conquered you, has conquered the woman, and there will be unity between them, right? They came into unity through the fall, but he says there's a division coming. There's going to be a division coming from humanity and Satan. And, 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 and he says this division between you and the woman will be between your seed and her seed. And the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So he's saying that there's a separation coming through the woman and, and I'm going to bring a Redeemer and when the Redeemer comes, He will crush your head. You will manage to bruise His heel, but He's going to crush your head. See, if someone bruises your heel, that will heal, right? <laughs> if you bruise your heel, it can heal. But if you 
have your head crushed, it'll kill you. God said that the bruising that you're going to do to Jesus will be temporary. And that's what we've seen on the cross. But the crush that Jesus will bring is eternal. Eternal. And eternity was going to start from the moment that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So again, God brings it out in these verses of Scriptures that Jesus was born to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Isn't that good? We need to start believing that. Because it seems like the church, all we do is talk about the works of the devil. Right? Look at what he's doing in the world. Well, what's Jesus doing in the world? Well, I don't know. Well, he lives in you. That's what the church needs to start asking itself. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He has no power. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. See, John understood this. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that He may destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And right now, in your unrenewed mind, you're reading that and it says, well, I sinned. I must be of the devil. No. You're born again. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means you are not in bondage to sin. You have power to overcome sin. Start seeing yourself in Emmanuel, God with us. Start seeing us yourself in Christ Jesus. He has destroyed the power of, of Satan. He destroyed the power of the works of the devil. Sin has no power over you. Because you are under grace. You are not under the law. Amen? Jesus has conquered sin in all mankind. And even the very sin, the nature of sin in us, given us control over, over it. Do you know that, you know, it's, it's weird how, how, the, how the church kind of teaches things that are so contrary to Scripture. We, 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 we teach people that, you know, there's a little bit of good and a little bit of, of, of evil in you. And you've got to feed the good and starve the evil. You know, that you still, you know, you might be born again, but you still have a sin nature. You might still have a sin nature. I'm telling you, you cannot be born again and still have a sin nature. All things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If all things have become new, you can't have the old. The old man was circumcised. That's a whole thing talking about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. We won't get into that today. because That makes people uncomfortable. i got, I got a whole teaching on it. Maybe we'll do that this year. I don't know. But your old man was circumcised from you. That old nature. See, the problem is people think that I'm still a sinner. I'm, I still have that old sin nature. And if you think you still have it, guess what you're going to do? You're going to act like it. No, you've been born again. And Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. We, we, we not only have a new nature in Christ Jesus, but He has given us the power to control sin rather than have sin control us. That's good news. Next of all, he died for sickness. This includes physical sin, sickness, and mental sickness. 
we can now rule over sin. If sin tries to control you, in the past, sin tries to control you, but you can control it. So Jesus was born to redeem fallen mankind and destroy the works of the devil. And we got to speed up. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, it says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is God speaking to Abraham and giving him a prophecy. He said, and this, this promised seed would be a blessing to all people. This promised seed, this prophecy was to Abraham so that all of humanity, all the nations, all the families of the earth could be blessed by God. Right? Goodwill towards men. Right? And it says, now Abraham had two seeds. God said one was as the stars of the heaven and one was of the sands of the sea. Think about this. He said, count the sands of the sea and the stars of the heavens. See, we're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about the, not just the physical of the Bible. We're talking about what God was doing behind the scenes. We're talking about the spiritual realities in the, in the realms. He says, your first seed was going to be like the stars that spread everywhere. And the second seed was going to be like the sands of the sea. The sand of the sea was an earthly race. You're not part of the sands of the sea. Because we have no Jewish people in this place. We have no Israelites in this place. Right? Not that they're not welcome. So, but anyways. The sand of the sea was an earthly race. And the stars of the, of the heavens are a heavenly race. And actually, actually, there's a whole teaching, maybe we'll get into that, of what the stars were saying. Because he, he said, recount the stars, recall the stars. And it tells the story of Jesus. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. Um, God is simply saying, from you is going to come two offspring. And the one is a physical one that stands on the earth, the Jewish nation. Now they're they're not now the Jewish nation is not allowed into heaven simply because they're Jews. Do you know that? They have to be born again. They have to go from being the sands and the seas, an earthly nation to a heavenly nation. Right? They have to be part of the heavenly nation. Then Abraham would have um, a seed like the stars, a nation that is spir a spiritual nation. And once a person receives Jesus, no matter if they're a Jew or a Gentile, they become one of the stars of heaven. And that's, that's why he said, in your seed shall all the nations be blessed. All nations refer to every one of them and those individuals within the, in, in those nations that would put their faith into Jesus Christ. The seed of Abraham was physical and spiritual. The sands of the sea and the stars of heaven. It's not a physical birth that counts with God. Right? Your, your physical birthday doesn't matter to God. It matters, but it's not the most important birthday. Your spiritual birthday, when you're born again in Christ Jesus, that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you're born a Jew. That doesn't grab the attention of, of, of God. It's when you're born again in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and you become a star in the, he in the heavenly nations. 
that you catch the eye of God. Right? The stars of the heaven count for eternity. In, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver be, between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This was a prophecy given to Judah. Judah was a person. Right? The tribes. These were tribes. Right? And Israel was on his deathbed was prophesying all over all his sons would make up the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what the prophecy came to, Ju to Judah. And what he said was there was going to come a scepter, and a scepter rep represents kingship from Judah. And this particular tribe was going to provide leadership for the nation of Israel. Judah would provide the priestly tribe, and it was going to provide a, 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 the priestly tribe until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is a reference to Jesus Christ. Once Jesus Christ came, there was no longer a tribe of Judah that was over the nation. Actually, the, the nation of Israel and all its traditions and the temple and everything was destroyed by the Gentiles. Why? Because there was no longer a need for any of that because Jesus had come. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Everything, everything now has been turned over to Jesus. And once he rose from, once he rose from the dead, so being from the tribe of Judah, which Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, he couldn't choose that. Jesus couldn't choose to be from the tribe of Judah. But he was. Why? Because he came in the fullness of the book. In the volume of the book. Right? Jesus would come to be a ruler over Israel. Being from the tribe of Judah, Jesus can now be a ruler over the world. And before he rules Israel, though, and before he rules the world, he wants to rule your life. See, what I'm saying is, is these are all fab, fabulous things about Jesus and what He wants to do for the whole world. But the truth of the matter is, they still came for people. Jesus, the real reason Jesus came was for people. He didn't go to the cross because He wanted to become ruler of the world. He's God. You understand that? That's not why Jesus came to the cross. That was just a result of what he did. By conquering Satan, he became the ruler of the world. You know, and it's, that's a, a wonderful result, right? But he came to the cross. Why? Because for God so loved the world. That's why he came to the cross. That's why he came for you. He, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Are you a whosoever this morning? Right? Isn't it great to be a whosoever? Everybody's a whosoever. But a, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came to die for every person on earth, each individual, everyone, all the time. You know, the, people say that, that if only one person would have trusted in Jesus Christ, if only one person would have trusted in Jesus, He would have came. He would have done it all for that one person. That doesn't go farther enough. The truth of the matter is that if no one, if no one ever put their trust in Jesus Christ, if no one came to salvation, if no one believed in Him, do you know that Jesus would have still came? God would have still sent Jesus. And Jesus would have voluntarily came 
and went through everything that he went through, even if no one would put their trust in him. Why? Because the reason he came is because he loved the world. He came motivated by love. He came motivated by what was in his heart, not what's in your heart. That's good news. That's good news. That's the good news that we talked about at the beginning. Goodwill towards men. Peace and goodwill towards us. Amen? Psalms chapter 2, verse 7. He says, I will, de- I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now this is used on two different occasions in the New Testament. In the New Testament. So this verse has two applications. First of all, the day that Jesus was begotten, when He came, in, came, came into the world, called Christmas, and then when Jesus came um, out of the tomb, was the second one. Right? So, so when Jesus came, and He was born of a virgin, and ended up in a manger, that's when He, he came. This was when this prophecy was filled. But the second time this verse was used was when He was raised from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. And on that day, God begotten Him forever. And He'll eternally be our Redeemer. Forever. So God had to become man because of of His deity. He could not die. Also as the offspring of God, Jesus was sinless man representing God in this and through His death. Jesus is the only Savior of the world and He's the only Savior for you. You understand that? All this was to fulfill the volume of the book. This is why Jesus came. In Psalms 132, verse 11, it says, The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. He's not only from Abraham. He's not only from Jacob. He's not only from the tribe of Judah, but he's also from David's lineage, right? Jesus more than qualifies to be Israel's king. But more than that, he desires to be your king. Amen? Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a child, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. How would you like to be Isaiah? Talk about a man of faith. How would you like to prophesy that the virgin is going to have a child? You think you second guessed that one? When's the last time you've seen a virgin have a child? Even to this day, people struggle with the idea of a virgin having a child. Right? But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus was born of a virgin. The seed of the woman don't you think it's interesting in Genesis when it talks about her, I'll put enmity between her, your seed and her seed? Women don't have seeds. They have eggs. Men have seeds. Here is a virgin that has known no man, but the very Word of God produced, produced a living being. God Almighty in her womb. And this is, what, this is also a fulfillment of what the Lord told Satan in the garden. Do you see that? About the coming 
of the seed of the woman. Man, you've got to be blind to miss all this stuff. I mean, the Bible is so rich, isn't it? Because the Bible speaks of Jesus. In Isaiah 90, verse 9, verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus would be God. He'd be man. He would be deity in the flesh, the Bible declares. Those words were spoken 500 years before the cross. And we are now 2,000 years after the cross and we are still proclaiming, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And Jesus Christ qualifies to be our Redeemer. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you were little among those in Judah. See that Judah? He says, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to rule in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Everlasting, right? The Word was with God and was, with, was God. Right? All things were made through Him. Here is this everlasting Word, this everlasting One that was going to come through Bethlehem. His birth would be in Israel, but He would be known as a Jew. Why? Do you know why Jew, Jew comes from Judah? Do you, know, do you understand that? They're actually, it's actually the, the nation of Israel. They're actually Israelites. But they've become known as Jews. Isn't that interesting? That's where that word Jew comes from is Judah. <laughs> and 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 he, not only was he born in Israel, not only would he be an Israelite, he would be a Jew from the tribe of Judah, and his birth would be in Bethlehem, the home of where? David. Right? So he could be king of the Jews. That's a do you do you understand the complexity of this now? See, we, we do our Christmas stories and our Christmas pageants and all these things, but this is the complexity of the spiritual realm happening in the background, bringing all these things, the volume of the book, bringing it all together in one person, Jesus Christ. See, yes, Jesus qualifies to be king, but He desires, His true desire is for us to invite Him into our hearts to be the king of our life. To rule and reign on the throne of our life. That's the desire of Jesus. That's the desire of God. That we might become sons and daughters of God. That we would become like Him. And the problem is, is a lot of us have accepted Him as Savior to go to heaven one day, but we haven't made Him king of our life. He's not sitting on the throne. We are. And Jesus wants to sit on the throne of your life. He wants you to act like Him. He wants you to speak like Him. He wants you to be like Him. And He wants you to be blessed like Him. Listen to that. He goes, Anywhere and everywhere where Jesus is king's, King, things change. Where Jesus rules, 
where Jesus has rulership in an area, that area changes. Our nation, Jesus was king over our nation at its founding. And it produced the most prosperous, strongest nation on the face of the earth that has, has ever been on the earth. Listen, homes, your home can be the kingdom of God. If you want your life to change, look at the areas of your life that, where Jesus is not king. Where Jesus is not ruling and reigning. If you want to see change in your life, put Jesus at the center of those areas of your life. They will change automatically. The problem is, is that we don't want to put him. That's where the struggle is. The struggle is, is we want to be king. We think we know best. We think we know what brings life. We think we know what brings happiness. And it's a lie. Wherever Jesus is king, things change. They prosper and blessing flows. Jesus was king at his birth. And he took his family, Mary and Joseph. And we'll probably, we'll be look, we might be looking at this. He took a middle class, poor to middle class family. And had, king, had kings, magi, load them up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He, his whole ministry was funded from his birth. Listen, Jesus changes everything. He wants to be king. He wants to reign. He wants to rule in your life. Why? Because he wants you to see heavenly results in your life. It's not because he's trying to control you. Sin's already controlling humanity. It's, he wants to partner with you to see God's abundance in your life. You need to ask, Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. And at the same time, thank Him for giving us eternal life. Amen? I tell you what, if you do, it'll be a very Merry Christmas. It'll change things forever. It'll, it'll change generations. And that, that is good news. That is goodwill and peace in the hearts of men. When Jesus reigns and is seated on the throne of their lives. Amen? Amen. I hope you guys got something out of this this morning. It, it, we went through a lot of scriptures and stuff like that. Went through it quick. But to see that in the fullness of, of the book, in the, in, the, in the volume of the book, Jesus came to do the will of God. And the reason that He came <laughs> was so that we could be delivered from Satan. We could be delivered from the power of Satan. We could be delivered from sin and all the residue and the results of sin. Truthfully, anywhere in the world where heartache, brokenness, and suffering reign is a place where Jesus is not reigning. Amen? And we as ambassadors of Jesus Christ are called to show a better way, a greater way. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have come, You have done it, You have fulfilled it. You are the only one that could truly become the Word made flesh. 
You're the only one that could truly come in the volume of the book and fulfill everything perfectly so that You could redeem mankind. And this morning, Lord, I ask that we would not be hard-hearted, that we wouldn't think of this truth as, as old hat, that this is something that I've heard before, but that we would truly come to a revelation knowledge that You did this all for us. You are a God that came. You are a God that served. You are a God that died for us. And You would have done it for us whether we chose You or not because You love us. Your desire is for us to know that love and us to walk in that love in Christ Jesus. How can we not turn our lives over to someone that loves us that much? We just praise You and we celebrate You and we worship You. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.